Well, uh, good morning, First Baptist. Great to have you here. I want to give a special shout out and greeting to our uh, venue uh, service as well. Uh, And you will notice in your bulletins you have a couple of cards. We had one of our senior saints come to us a couple of weeks ago and said, Do you have any cards that I can give to uh, restaurant servers or uh, to supermarket when I come across them and can invite them? We said, Absolutely. So we have a general First Baptist uh, invite card as well as a venue uh, card as well. So uh, invite them to either or or both. Um, last week we had a wonderful start, over 100 people worshiping with us in the gymnasium at the venue service, so we are thrilled about that. We are thrilled about that, and um, you never know with those cards who they will go to and when they may be used, so we just encourage you to do that. Um, let me start off the uh, message today by reading you a story from uh, the book called Counterculture. Pastor Derek talked about uh, uh, community groups and how important they are. Our community group went through this this last spring. And let me read you from the beginning of one of the chapters, a book by David Platt. Let me read this. He says, I remember the conversation like it was yesterday. I was getting married that weekend, and many of my relatives had uh, had traveled into town for my wedding. When I was growing up, my family would spend time with our extended family every year, even though we lived in different states. We worked hard to keep geographical distance from preventing relational intimacy, and as a result, we were all pretty close to one another. But now that many of us had moved to different locations and were beginning new families, it was rare for all of us to be in the same place at the same time. So this marriage celebration served as a sort of family reunion for us. We talked, we ate, we played, we laughed ourselves to tears as we recounted old stories and shared new ones. The night before my wedding, I found myself driving a family member whom I deeply loved back to his hotel. We talked about various things in our lives, and it was just plain good to catch up. As he was about to get out of the car at his hotel, he turned to me and said, David, I want to share something with you. Okay, I said. He said, I want you to know that I'm gay. Silence filled my seat in the car as I didn't know what to say. Thoughts swirled around my mind, and I wasn't sure what to do with them. He continued, I want you to know that I've had these desires for a long time. And I'm choosing to fulfill them in a homosexual lifestyle. Regrettably, silence continued to fill my seat. I look back at that moment, and I wish I had said so many different things. I wish I had thanked him for his honesty, for his transparency, and vulnerability in sharing that with me. I wish I had assured him that uh, that his revelation would not change my affection him. I wish I had asked him sincere questions to understand him better. How did he come to his conclusion? Whom else had he shared this with? And how hard had those conversations been on him? What were the biggest ups and downs he had experienced as a result of his desires of this decision? Unfortunately, I barely said anything. He got out of the car, and I told him it was really good to see him. 
but our conversation went no further. So let me ask you, what would you say if someone gave that revelation to you? How would you respond? This is the series that we have been going over the last few weeks. If you have your outline, you can see it's entitled, How Do I Respond When People Say? And we've been looking at the culture and what the culture thinks about people inside the church, what the culture thinks about Christians, and how they view those inside the church and those who follow Jesus. And so the question today is, how do I respond when someone says, Christians, they are just homophobic? Last week, you recall a survey that uh, I shared with you of people who didn't go to church, but they were asked questions. And one of the questions was, what is the first word you think of when you hear the word Christian? And the number one answer on that survey was, they hate gay people. And you have to ask, what has happened in our culture that the true teachings of Jesus and the true teachings are what, in this, uh, what is in God's word? What has happened that they've got so muddied up with this homophobic, gay-bashing perception? Is God homophobic? Is the church homophobic? Are you? See, I know it's an emotionally charged subject, which evokes a lot of different emotions that we're going to be talking about here today. And there are people here today who I would guess have a fear, a disdain, and even maybe a strong dislike for gays. And there are people here today listening to me who every day struggle with a homosexual orientation. And perhaps maybe even you are sitting beside one another right now. And greeted one another during our greeting time. And so here's what I want to ask. Would you please listen today to me with an open mind uh, and stay with me on this? Because at some point in this message, I will probably have everyone upset at me at one point or another. Just the way it is with a subject like this. Some of you will say, Pastor Brad, that sounds a little judgmental, doesn't it? And others of you will say, Pastor Brad, you are not hitting this hard enough. Give them the fire. Give them the brimstone. Preach it. Come on now. But just stay with me. Stay with me, and, and, and I pray that truly you don't even hear me. I pray that you will hear God's Spirit speaking to you about His truth and how you can apply this in your life on this subject. And understand, too, that I, I, I'm talking about this subject from the, conversa- from the viewpoint of having a conversation with someone, much like in the opening illustration that I just read, the conversation that he was to have with his close relative and unfortunately didn't. So that's the context I'm wanting to put our time in here together on this. This isn't to defend our faith to the media. This isn't to uh, combat someone who's pushing the homosexual activist kind of agenda or movement on us. This isn't a defense written out to the five dissenting Supreme Court justices of why they are way out of biblical bounds and they didn't get it right. This is about you and I and how we would engage individuals who have some honest questions 
maybe even struggles uh, for themselves or struggles of someone very close to them and how we can give biblical counsel and share with them. And so you'll see that on the bottom of the back side of the outline are three other messages that I have given on this subject. A couple of them were in June. One of them was in July. I would encourage you, if you have not listened to those messages, please go and listen to those. That will give the totality of how we address this within our country and to others who are pushing their agenda on us. And maybe I said things a little stronger in those messages today. It would be in a sense of a conversation. A conversation and some answers that we would have or should have. And wanting to equip you with that of how you would respond if this question was posed to you. Christians homophobic? Is God homophobic? And the first kind of um, language that I would probably use if they were asking me this question is I would probably communicate this, and I hope that you would do this as well. The same God who watched his son Jesus die in excruciating, excruciating death on the cross, is deeply grieved for anyone who uh, has experienced pain and mistreatment for coming out and saying that they are gay. Many times, unfortunately, even Christians projecting that mistreatment upon them. And I'm sure there's many of us in here, if we're honest if not in action or in word, in thought, we have said or thought things way beyond what we would ever be proud of. I know I have in my own life. But just to put this out there, I don't believe God would ever say, or, or Jesus would have used the word queers or fags or dykes or homos or lesbians, lesbia, lesbos. Those words would never have come out of Jesus' mouth of addressing people in those ways. In fact, when Jesus shared the verse out of Luke 10, 27 and said, love your neighbor as yourself, he did not have a qualifier on that unless they are gay. He never said that. There was no asterisk there. There's no prerequisite at all. He simply says, love one another. And God is deeply hurt when there are hate crimes that are committed against gays for their lifestyle. He is deeply hurt when anyone has some sort of a hate crime committed against them. In fact, I showed you some signs last week. I wanted to show you again. Again, these are just, they've been on the internet. They have been on the news coverage. This is extreme people who, who try and use words for God that I am convinced God would never use. They do not speak for God. They do not say things the way that God would say them. In fact, they don't re- represent what most Christians would, would even think or say on this subject. And yet outsiders get this perspective because when people pick it in such th- ways like this, the news media picks it up, it hits the pages of the newspaper, it hits the internet, it hits the nightly news as well. And that's how those perceptions have really grown. And you know, just as an aside, have you ever noticed how uh, Christians tend to really get angry at someone who sins differently than them? You ever notice that? I mean, we're real good at that, right? I mean, you don't see the verse, you know, God hates gluttons outside a hometown buffet, do you? Right? I mean, let me challenge you on this. Take a sign, go pick at hometown buffet Sundays at 1230 uh, uh, and, and have it say, God hates gluttons. God hates gluttons. Doesn't come across very well. You want to see some real anger, you do that right there. That's getting close to home for many of us. 
Maybe that's your sin. Maybe that's your temptation that you've given into. And so while God is, is deeply grieved by how we maybe judge or project what he would say on others, it does not change the fact that God has spoken on this subject of homosexuality, and he has spoken very clearly on this subject. And God is expecting his followers to speak his truth in love on this subject as well. That's you and that's me. And maybe you're here today and you're just kind of exploring all this. Welcome. Great Sunday to have you here. I'm going to be addressing, though, and equipping those of us who are followers of Jesus to hear this. Because I hope that you will share these words and what God is saying about this subject in a way that is incredibly loving and is a way that is um, also very truthful. And so we here at First Baptist adhere to God's word. And we adhere to the totality of it thinking and knowing that God's word is truth. And it is all truth then. And so we don't conform the teachings of the Bible to our lifestyle. We conform our lifestyle to the teachings of the Bible. There's a big difference there. We, we don't conform uh, the teachings of the Bible and try and fit it into what our lifestyle is and see if we can get it to affirm what we do. No, we read what it says and we conform our lifestyle to what God's word says. And so we must speak the word of God in truth, but also in love. I recall a situation a, a number of years ago where um, a young man um, left a church. Uh, he had a good friend uh, who ministered to him, prayed for him. Um, he left the church because knowing, even knowing God's word, still wanted to choose to be involved in the homosexual lifestyle. Left, and this friend was a good friend, still is a good friend trying to say, I'm praying for you, trying to say, I, this won't change our friendship. I still want to care for you and love you as a friend would, would do. But the friend brought up a, a point to the person who had left the church and was involved in the homosexual lifestyle and said, you know, you know God's word, and you know what the Bible says about this. How do you rationalize with what the Bible says, with what you're doing? And the answer came back in so many words to say, I'm still trying to figure that one out. In other words, I'm still trying to say, can I do this and still follow the Bible? Can I still do this and have the Bible still not condemn me for what I'm doing? And I just have to say, folks, no, that's not where we start. We don't start from our lifestyle and try and get the Bible to say what we do and prove it's right. We look at the Bible and God's Word, and from it now say, I need to make changes. And those changes go for all of us. We all have areas. We all have things that we struggle with. And so though today's topic, it is on homosexuality. Let's talk about that one very specifically. If you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 19. Let me read that. What does the Bible specifically teach about this subject? Well, it teaches that sexual expression should only be done within the confines of a man and a woman within a marriage relationship. That's what God's Word teaches. And even though our country has changed that definition and done that very differently, God's Word says that sexual expression is supposed to be within marriage between a husband and a wife, between one man and between one woman. And so we glean that, first of all, Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6. 
where Jesus has asked some questions, and here's what he says. He says, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. They are to no longer be two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. And you'll recall in those other messages that I gave in June and July, I also talked a little bit out of Genesis chapter 1 and 2, where we see God ordaining the first marriage in the Garden of Eden, husband, wife, man, woman, coming together. You see, then also, and I know I'm going to be flipping back and forth with some some verses. You can look those up if you like, or you can have your uh, outline before you. Look up on the screen as well. But the writer of Hebrews says this. Let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. That makes a lot of homosexual people angry. But that also makes a lot of heterosexual people angry. Understand? Right? See, we try and justify things. We try and say, well, just because Jesus um, didn't really talk about it. I I remember even hearing about a brochure that people would hand out. And on the front of the brochure, it would say what Jesus said about homosexuality. And the person would hand it out to people. And you open it up, and there's nothing on, on the inside. It's completely blank. And while that's true, Jesus did not say something specifically about homosexuality. There were a lot of things that Jesus did not speak out directly about. Jesus did not say anything directly about slavery, nothing directly about incest, nothing uh, directly about rape, nothing directly uh, about domestic violence. We look at the totality of Scripture. And we see how God would not want us to engage in any of those areas. Even though Jesus didn't specifically talk about this, Paul did specifically. Old and New Testament did as well. In fact, look at Leviticus 18, chapter 22, or verse 22. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Go to look at Romans chapter 1. And again, I cover these next two passages pretty extensively in those previous three uh, messages, but let me read to you where it says in Romans 1, 26 and 27, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And then the passage that really is hard-hitting here from Paul, where he lists a number of sins, and if you read through it, you can probably find some of your own on here. He says out of 1 Corinthians 6, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, or idolaters, or adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And if you read that, I think you probably found some of your own sins on there. I know I found mine. They're on that list. So First Baptist, you just have to know that if you come here, you are amongst a bunch of moral screw-ups. You are. 
We, we, we falter, we fail, we sin. If you are here today and you are gay, you are amongst bad company here at this place. If you're going to go share some of this information with people, know that you are fallible. You, you, you share it in a state of, 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 of having screwed up on your own. In fact, what I like to say is this is the SA meeting here. This is not the AA meeting, Alcoholics Anonymous. This is the SA meeting. This is the Sinners Anonymous meeting. We... we we come here, and we've done it. Okay, Paul addresses it. Look at the things he talks about. We've been there. We just have to admit that. Today, you, there are people sitting here today who have lost the battle this week with pride. There are people here who have lost the battle with greed. There are people here today who have lost the battle with lying. There are people here today who have lost the battle with stealing, who have lost the battle with anger, who have lost the battle with lust, who have lost the battle with heterosexual activity, who have lost the battle maybe even with homosexual activity. But we come to a place of saying, Okay, God, I repent. And I'm sorrowful for what I've done. Because if you read this passage, you see, that homosexuality is a sin, but it's not the sin. There's a lot of other sins up there. And we like to highlight one or two. Take gluttony off the list, please, because I don't want that one, right? And we like to pick and choose, but they're sins. And homosexuality is a sin, it's not the sin. And it's not the orientation or the temptation, but it's the action or the engagement or even the mental engagement into that lifestyle when it becomes a sin. But that's not just for the homosexual sin. That's for the heterosexual sin as well. And if you walked in here thinking we're high and righteous and mighty, folks, you're, you're in the wrong place. However, I, I, I appreciate this. Paul does not leave us at this place of talking about all these things. Go on to the next verse. Because the very next verse says, And such were some of you. You were there, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And I talked about that over those last three messages, but I just want to bring this back in to say that, that God is in the business of changing, of washing up people, of changing their hearts. They were justified, meaning as just as if I'd never sinned because of what Jesus did for me. And so, yes, while First Baptist is a bunch of screw-ups, we acknowledge, we repent it to God, and we work it out with God, and we ask for the help and the prayers of others who help us as well. We're a church who says we're not welcoming and affirming of the homosexual lifestyle, but we're welcoming and transforming of the homosexual lifestyle. We're not a church that is welcoming and affirming of a heterosexual immorality uh, type of lifestyle, but we are welcoming and transforming and desiring that for everyone. And so you say, well, you know, is First Baptist specifically kind of on the bandwagon against gays? Well, you tell me. And, and I know in my ministry, over the course of the 25 years that I've been here, 24, 25 years that I've been here, I have asked, at least I know one gentleman who came out of the homosexual lifestyle and was out of it for a good number of years, probably a decade, was out of that lifestyle proved and shown his faithfulness and the fruitfulness of it, loving Jesus. And I asked him if he would be one of our community group leaders around here. As a church, a number of years ago, there was a gentleman who had been involved in the homosexual lifestyle. This is a separate situation. Gave up that lifestyle, came to faith in Jesus Christ, repented of that sin, 
actually the Lord blessed him, gave him grace, allowed him to even have a desire for women, and married a woman. And we asked him to be one of our deacons around here at First Baptist, one of our spiritual leaders here. Now, that doesn't just happen overnight. There's fruitfulness that needs to be shown and displayed in that. But just like with all sins, the homosexual lifestyle can be forgiven by God's grace and ask for a change. It doesn't happen overnight. But it happens with the first bow of the knee and saying, God, I repent. I'm sorry. And that is true of the homosexual lifestyle. It's true of a heterosexual immorality type of lifestyle as well. And so look at what Jesus says. This is an interesting verse. Um, Not what Jesus says, but the writer of Hebrews says about Jesus. Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. You know who he's talking about there? He's talking about Jesus. And his temptations that he went through here because he was fully human while being fully God. So was he tempted in this way? Looks to me like he probably was. But without sin, did not engage in it, did not go farther than it needed to be. Temptation's not the sin. It's the engagement, even the mental engagement of it, that becomes sin. And so on the backside of your outline, let me just give you a few talking points. Let me give you a few words that, again, having a conversation with someone, as you come to rationalize, as you come to put this into your mind of how this can be discussed and that is this our first response might be for someone to say god understands and loves everyone god understands and loves everyone we read the verse that out of hebrews 4 15 that god understands john 3 16 says it so well he loves the world that he gave his only begotten son now watch this because he has so much love for us God has put loving boundaries in place. God has put loving boundaries in place. See, God has created us as sexual beings, men and women with distinct bodies that are made in the image of God. And Paul addresses this to the church at Corinth because that was a hypersexualized culture. And look at what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13. He says, The body is not meant for sexual immorality but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Now, that simple phrase there is the substantial starting point for understanding God's design for us. Our bodies have been created by God and for God. And that's a very different starting point than you will sense and pick up from culture in this world, which we are filled with a culture that says, if it feels good, what? If it feels good, do it. Do it. Doesn't matter what it is, whether you eat or whether you whatever you touch, uh, things that we watch, things that we do, things that we listen to, things that we engage in. We do it to satisfy our own bodies, our own senses, our own desires. But what if? What if our bodies have not ultimately been created for self gratification? But what if our bodies have been ultimately created for God glorification? See, that's a different starting point than our culture would take it. That we're not created for our own self-gratification. We're created for God glorification. And watch this now. What if God glorification is actually the way to experience the greatest satisfaction in our bodies? 
in this life. To know that, God, I'm trying to please you. Please hear this. God is for you. God is for your body. He wants to bless. And he desires to protect us from harm. See, here's what's neat about God and how he does things. Anytime you see a negative command in Scripture, or what you perceive to be a negative command, he always has two positives who are putting it in there. He's providing something better, and he is protecting us from something worse. It's a little bit like telling a three-year-old child not to play in the street, right? Stay in the yard, and that three-year-old child does not think you have its best interest in mind. He is ready or she is ready to do whatever they want to do, but you know better. You know they're not supposed to go play out in the street. And the way we respond to God when he tells us, hey, don't play over in this area, is probably a little bit like, and I just have to laugh at how much we might look like those three-year-olds looking up at God and saying, God, you don't know how I will use my body best. I know best. I'll use it the way I want to use it. See, God's teachings in Scripture pour out of God's love for us. And there is not one instance in all of Scripture where God advocates or he celebrates sex outside of a marriage relationship between a husband and wife. Not one. That's how Scripture defines it, because he knows what's best. And you can fight the Bible all you want to try and make it say otherwise, but it doesn't. You can fight against that, as that young man did that I described just a few minutes ago in his lifestyle, or you can do like one of our college students did this last summer, before summer, and came to a place of saying, i got to figure this out for myself. And after he had read through every verse that pertained to this issue, said, maybe God really does know what he's talking about. See, we don't, we don't just cut and paste. We don't just rip out verses we like. Oh, I, I don't like the war. It says this in Romans, and so I won't. I, I, I don't want that to be in my Bible. I do like the John 3.16. That's kind of cool. Let's have that one in there. I don't like what he says in John uh, 7, though. Uh, 1 Corinthians, ah, maybe not. And we just start ripping up the Bible, and we start saying, this isn't in there. This is in there. I don't like this part. This is. Let me explain it a different way. That's not what God's Word says. It's given to us in totality. We have to follow all of it. And so let me answer the question. I know time is flying by. I probably could have done two more messages on this. But let me just answer this question because many people will say, um, well, you know what? What if I was just born that way? What, what if that's the way that I was born? I, I was born with a homosexual bent. Let me broaden this just for a bit as I have with this entire message, really, to move this beyond just the homosexual. But let me move it to any sexual sin. Because Time Magazine came out with an article a number of years ago where it said that perhaps infidelity is in our genes. And it said, um, it said this, leading some now to say that, you know, if you have the urge, you should go ahead. You should be able to cheat on your spouse. It can be okay. You know what, folks? We all have a bent to sin. We all do. Whether it be a homosexual bent, whether it be a heterosexual bent. You can't choose your temptations, but you can choose how you respond to your temptations. Okay? That's where it is. Every man in here, every, let me say, every married man in here has some sort of attraction to other women in their lives. And you have to check your eyes and check your mind daily. Even if you have a smoking hot wife. All right? Let me just be honest about that. Okay? 
and you have a bet, and you get to choose which way you want to go. And every woman in here could be attracted to a man, another man. Every woman, a married woman could be attracted to another, and she has to choose which way is this going to go. See, how this ultimately gets settled is it's the lordship issue of deciding, God, you really don't do no best. And if you have not settled that yet in your own life, then I challenge you to read through Scripture and see what God says. Because God has put loving boundaries in place. Not even just boundaries, but loving boundaries in place to help us stay within the yard so the car doesn't come barreling down on us. Remember a few months ago, I gave you an illustration, God not, right? If you have not come to the conclusion that he is God and we are not, he knows best, we don't, then today is a day when you need to do that. Do you trust? Do you trust that he knows best and that he has your best interest at heart? That's the issue that we need to come to. And let me just say this as well, that we have a group here that meets on Saturday mornings at 8 o'clock. It's called our Men's Conquer Group. That if you're struggling with any sort of a sexual temptation or addiction in your life, show up. Don't feel like you have to, you're not the only one who goes through it. These guys are there to help. They're working through some curriculum together. They're supporting, encouraging, praying for one another. Let me read you two last verses. This passage from 1 Corinthians 6. Let me read you how it ends. I read out of verse 13. Let me read the rest. It says, The body was not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I take the member of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Paul says, Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. And then he says this, flee from sexual immorality of all kinds, of every kind. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Christian, that's for you. You say you're a Jesus follower. You're united with him. He says, do not unite yourself with a prostitute. Do not unite yourself in some sexual way outside of confines of marriage between one man and one woman. Because that will hurt. That will enable you to go out in the street and the car will run you over. And God is simply saying, I want to spare you from that. Because if you're my child, you now live for me. In fact, the last verse I want to read out Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. Could you say that with me? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. We do what we do because God owns us. We do what we do because God loves us. And oh, by the way, he has your best interest in heart, so it's the best way to live this life as well. Not self-gratification, but God-glorification in our bodies.
So let me give you two thoughts. Down at the bottom of your outline, I have two questions for contemplation, and then I'll be through. Have I surrendered every area of my life to the Lordship of Jesus? Specifically, sexual immorality, because that's what we've been talking about today. Have I surrendered at all? And then secondly, am I willing to pray for others to have that same surrender and lovingly be led by the Holy Spirit to help others with their surrender? And what does that mean for you? Maybe dialoguing with a friend. Maybe talking to your children or your grandchildren with age-appropriate instruction or teaching. Maybe you right now are living with someone and you know you should not be. Maybe you're sleeping with someone you know you should not. What's your step? See, God cares. He cares, he cares, he cares for you. And his love won't let you go. And so as you share, as you pray, on, uh, protect yourself, protect your life, but then also be open to how God wants that message and that love to be shared with others. And know that even though you're not perfect, if you surrender and daily check your eyes, daily check your mind, daily check your heart, God can use you to help make a difference in this world. You are the Bible people read. You are the Christian that people see. How do you want them to view us? Look in the mirror. Because you're it. And God's proud of you. Not perfect, but forgiven. Forgiven. Let's pray. God, I, I thank you for an opportunity to share on this subject. I know it's not uh, easy to hear. Not easy to give either. But Lord, I thank you that your Holy Spirit can be in this place. And I thank you that as we come to now a time of closing our service with song, Lord, that the, the words that are shared are, are words to drive us deeper into your calling for our lives. Or there are words to um, drive us to a place of knowing that, Christ, you are the cornerstone of everything we do in our lives. Lord, we would be floundering, we would be uh, sinking, we would be fluttering in the wind if we weren't driven down into you and knowing our solid rock is based upon Jesus, what you have done for us. And so, God, we come with a spirit of openness and say, um, God, what do you want from me? If I have not surrendered to you today, every area of my life, or today I need to do that. And today, Lord, I also want to be a part of your team. Lord, would you put people in my lives that I can share your truth with, not in a way that will run them over, but in a way that will help them see that there's a loving God in heaven who cares for them. Lord, you have purchased us. We are united with you. May we live that way. May we live in your truth. Thank you for being our rock stone. We worship you now. Jesus, your name we pray.